Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. It's so great to be here. Good morning to all of you. Good morning to everyone who's watching online in the different sites or in your homes. It is great to be here. It's something really special, isn't it, when you come to Friends? And I feel like Life Central has been part of my life for so many years, partly because of Leon and Alison, but I know so many people here and been so many times over the years. When Mark and I moved to Bristol a year ago to start serving at a new church there, there was only one person we wanted to come and speak at our induction, but he wasn't available, so we had Leon. There we go. <laughs> no, it was brilliant. Obviously, it was Leon. Uh, so it was just fantastic to have him uh, with us and to just do life together. So it is, it is really great today. And um, we are going to be thinking this morning um, a little bit about what I think is probably one of the greatest themes in Scripture, which is about God's grace and about how we live in God's grace, how, how we live graceful lives, lives that are signposted you know, fingerprinted by God's grace and not by striving and hard work. And really, that is it in a nutshell. So we shall close in prayer. And, uh, no, but that really is it. It's about how we live in God's grace, because I don't know about you, but I need God's grace in my life. And I think our world so needs God's grace as well. I first really began to know that there was a God and a God of grace when I was at university. And I don't know whether you were brought up in a Christian home or not. I wasn't. I genuinely thought that Easter was Hot Cross Bun Day and Easter Egg Day. I did not know that there was a story attached to that at all. Um, And I got to university, and honestly, I'd had a few very, very, very challenging years. They'd been difficult, difficult years. And I often say that if you haven't got really good foundations in your life, at some point you do sink. And that's kind of what happened at university. Everything began to unravel for me in quite an unhelpful way. But while I was there, someone from the Christian Union at University in Plymouth began to share with me about Jesus. If I'm perfectly honest with you, wasn't that interested in Jesus, but he seemed quite nice. So I was like, tell me more. And and then he invited me along to church, which I was absolutely certain was a date. So I went along... So I went along to church, and I have to tell you, it was not a church like this. It was a little brethren chapel in Plymouth. There was probably about 30, 40 older people. I was definitely the youngest. I was definitely the most hungover. And they, I remember them singing How Great Thou Art, that song we just sang, you know, on an old organ. You know, there was nothing fabulous and slick about it. But I often say this, you know, it's good to have a friendly church, but what people really need is friends. And they just embraced me into the family. They shared God's love with me. They really did make me feel so at home. And they began to explain to me that there's a God that loves me so much that he would send his son to pay the price for anything I'd done wrong in my life and to give me a whole clean slate that I could start again. And it was extraordinary. I was like, well, first of all, why didn't no one tell me this before? But secondly, wow. So I remember being on this golf course in Plymouth, overlooking the golf course. I see you've got a golf day coming up. Get ready. Jesus is apparently on the golf course. I was looking over this golf course and I remember saying, I didn't know it was a prayer, but it was a prayer. And said to God, if you're real, if this stuff is real, 
this would mean everything. Like, I would have to just give my life to you. And then as I was sat on this bench, this old guy walked past me and he said, do you mind if I sit down? I was like, no, it's fine. And he sat down and he said, I don't actually live in this country. I'm something called a missionary. And as I walked past you, I just really felt strongly that I needed to tell you that God really loves you. Okay. So just sidestep for a minute. If you ever get a little prompt in your heart to go and say something to somebody, you have no idea what their story is like. And you have got no idea how it might be leading up to that moment where there's a pivot point in someone's life. So I was like, okay, God's real. So I run back to, um, I run back to college, I find a chaplain, I find the chaplain, I say to him, God's real. And he's like, I know. So I prayed this prayer and I, I just gave my life to Jesus. And the thing is, not everything in my life changed overnight. But from that moment on, God began to rebuild the foundations of my life. God began to fill the cracks with his grace. All the places of brokenness, he began to fill them with his grace. I realized that I could never be enough for God, but he was enough for me. And that was what made the difference. I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't wipe my slate clean, but he could do that for me. By grace, I could live in his strength. By grace, I could forgive those that had hurt me and I could receive forgiveness. Because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, we get a new start. Folks, there's a reason that the gospel means good news because it really is. It really is. And we must never get tired of what fantastic news this is. But then something interesting happened and I wonder if any of you can relate to this. Well, a couple of things happened actually. First of all, life got really hard again. So I got married when I was 20, which was a, a bit of a sudden thing anyway, but that wasn't the bad thing. That was a good thing, but it was a challenging thing, getting married at 20. And then almost immediately after that, as some of you know already, if you know me, um, Mark, my husband, got diagnosed with a disease that would mean he would lose his eyesight and that he, would, he was told he would be blind and that's what's happened. Um, so at age 22, I become the driver in the family. I become someone who knows that their husband isn't going to see and we've got hereditary disease in the family. And blah, blah, blah. So that was quite a lot to deal with. We had quite a lot of other family issues going on. We had a terrible financial situation at that time, honestly. And there was just a lot to deal with. And life, anyone else here work out that life's not a fairy tale? Yeah, <laughs> things don't always go to plan, do they? That was my experience. And so I knew about God's grace and his goodness but if I'm really honest with you, I couldn't really see a lot of it in my circumstances. It was pretty challenging. But then the other thing was, apart from the external challenges, there were still quite a lot of internal challenges going on as well. A lot of those mindsets from the past, a lot of those bits of baggage from all my brokenness just kept showing up in different ways. I was feeling, and I wonder if anyone else ever feels this, I was feeling not good enough. I really felt like I just needed love and approval from other people. I felt like I needed to keep striving and working harder and I was overworking and I did this perfectionist thing where I set impossible goals for myself and then really was hard on myself when I didn't reach the impossible goals that I'd set. This striving to be good enough, trying to prove to God that I was good enough in some way, I think. And that's not how God wants us to live. That is not what a grace-filled, graceful, grateful life looks like. 
I've got some signs of what striving looks like in life, and I'm putting these up here because I just wonder if anyone here, whether you're a person, and we all work hard sometimes, the top one's working too hard. We all have, see, I'm not here to make people feel guilty. Like, we all have seasons of where the deadlines are on and we have to work hard. That's completely normal. But when this becomes a chronic condition and you don't know how to take your foot off the accelerator, that's definitely not grace-filled living. You're constantly seeking approval, not feeling good enough, doing more because we feel like the busier we are, the more significant we are in some way. And then I also think we're quite harsh when we're striving. We're harsh on other people, quite judgmental on other people, but we can be quite harsh on ourselves as well. We benchmark ourselves against other people. Anyone ever, ever done that? And this one, I think, is a real key one. Like legalism, which we'll talk about in a minute, we're serving out of duty because we ought to, rather than because we want to. So rather than it being an overflow of what God's given to us, we're just like, well, I should do it, I suppose. And there's that sense of striving in it and doing things in our own strength. You don't need to chat to the person next to you or put your hand up now, but in the privacy of your own head and heart, I wonder if any of these... Who wants a church like this? No, don't want that, do we? Who wants a life like that? I don't want a life like that. And yet I know so often that is where I have ended up over the years. Not very grace-ish, is it? And the, the interesting thing is that this isn't a new thing. Human beings are consistent, if nothing else. And when you read the New Testament, when you read the Bible, you see this theme about God's grace and God's lavish love. And it's very, very specifically all over the New Testament because, as some of you will know and understand, perhaps it's new for others, the Jewish people were living with their own cultural mindset. And that was a legal system, a set of laws, extensive laws, that covered absolutely every area of their life. What they can do, what they can't do, what they can say, what they can't say, what they can wear, what they can't wear, what they can touch, what they can't touch. And their whole lives were man you know, managed by the law in a desperate attempt to be good enough for God. Just trying to bridge that gap between God's holiness and our humanity was all this law. And so the New Testament is all about the fact that Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection is a fulfillment of all that law, but also writes a new law of love over people's lives. You don't have to spend your entire life trying to be good enough for God anymore because Jesus is good enough for you, more than good enough for you. And so Jesus completely rewrote this law. Now we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace alone. The theologians call it sola gratia. And so you'll know some of you this verse from Ephesians that's going to come up now. Fantastic verse. It says, it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and some of you need to hear this, especially if you're a bit of a control freak. This is not from yourselves. Highlight, underline. This is not from yourselves. You cannot generate your own grace. But, you know, you can't pedal hard enough to create your own grace. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. Look at me. Went to three prayer meetings. Those midweek meetings at Life Central went to all of them in February. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
You know, it's not, you know, God's, I mean, you'd be pleased, please do go, that'd be marvellous. But, um, but it's not proving ourselves to God or to Leon or to anybody that we're good enough, we're saved by grace alone. And you're not a first century Jew and neither am I, but let me tell you this, we have our own cultural mindset. We live in our own cultural mindset and we are constantly told that we are not good enough. We are constantly told that we need to be better, we need to own more, we're not enough, we need more friends, we need more followers, we need more money, we need more success, we need more muscles, whatever. Like, you know, constantly being told that we need more. And massive multinational companies with psychologists and like budgets that are just ridiculous and algorithms that know you better than you know yourself are targeting you to let you know that you deserve all those things that they're showing you because you're worth it. Yes, you are. And you're constantly being told this, and then we're being shown all these people who are living this more lifestyle online, and it looks great, doesn't it? It looks really good. And so we end up feeling like, well, I'm not good enough. I need to be more too. But here's something I want to tell you. The moment you give a person more, it is immediately no longer enough. The moment you give a person more, it is no longer enough. You get your phone upgrade, does that mean you never want another phone upgrade? You want, you know, you get your new pair of shoes, does that mean you never want another pair of shoes? What about this one? You get that prayer answered. Thanks God, can I have this one now? You know, actually when we have more, it's not that suddenly we're satisfied. That longing for more in us, is a longing for an infinite God. And as human beings, do you know what we do? We try and fill an infinite longing for an infinite God with finite things that leave us striving and leave us dissatisfied as a result. And I've, I've had to learn this so many times, so many times. I remember years ago, I had um, an experience. It was a bit of a wake-up call, and it was literally a wake-up call. I was going to a conference up north and I was staying in a, a nice hotel. I'm a bit of a Premier Inn girl. You know, if I stay anything nicer than a Premier Inn, I feel like I'm living my best life. And this was, um, this was a hotel with a minibar. Okay. Now, I couldn't afford anything in the minibar, but I just opened and closed it because it was lovely that it was there. So I'm staying in a nice hotel and I'm saying to God, oh, I really need you. I'm dry. I'm striving again. I'm that hole in my life that's supposed to be filled with God's love, I know I'm trying to fill it myself again. God, I really need you. And I had no idea how God would answer that prayer. But that night, I went to bed. And at three o'clock in the morning, I became aware that the lights were on in my room and there was a man stood at the end of my bed. This was not a dream. This was actually happening. And so I did what you would expect me to do in that moment, which is to scream like I was on a horror movie. I absolutely screamed the house down. And this poor guy, who'd been given the room key by the receptionist at three o'clock in the morning, began to back out, his ears bleeding, like backing out of the room with his hands in the air. He left the room. I'm sat on the edge of the bed, adrenaline coursing through my veins. And because it's a posh hotel, there's a phone. I can pick up the phone to the receptionist. So I pick up the phone and I said something along the lines of, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. 
So I went down in the morning, and um, the manager of the hotel, the manager of the hotel was waiting for me, as you would, and he was stand, and he stood there waiting for me, and he apologised profusely, and then he said these words: "What is it that I can do for you? What is it I can do for you?" And because I'm British. I said, "Oh, absolutely nothing. It's absolutely you don't need to worry about that at all. Thank you for noticing that I exist. It's absolutely marvellous. Um, honestly, everything's lovely. Absolutely, you know, these things happen. Don't worry." And um, kind of moved on. But he was absolutely insistent that no, I was going to be treated like Kim Kardashian from that moment on. And I was, gi- I was given, um, yeah, I was given. Uh, didn't plan to say that. I was given like VIP cocktails. I was given a refund on my stay. I was given. I was absolutely marvellous from that minute on. It was fantastic, and I walked away feeling that his generosity had been disproportionate. That it had been extravagant. That it had been just too much. Like it was unnecessary kindness. And as I was walking away, I just felt the Holy Spirit in my ear going, "Where have you heard those words before?" Where have you heard those words before? What is it that I can do for you? And I immediately knew that they were the words of Jesus. And that Jesus, when he meets Bartimaeus in the scriptures, Jesus looks at Bartimaeus and says, what is it I can do for you? And Bartimaeus in that moment receives more healing, more wholeness, more redemption, more freedom, more new start than he could ever imagine being possible in his life. But then... Ouch, next revelation, I realized this, that I'd been responding to God exactly the same as I'd responded to that hotel manager. Oh, don't worry about me, God, honestly, thank you for noticing, but there's an awful lot of things going on in the world, and just pay attention to them. Honestly, I'll crack on and work things on my own. I'll be absolutely fine, God. And actually, I had settled, I think, for being tweaked by God's grace, but I had not really been transformed by it. And that was a wake-up call for me. And I want to say, that night, I came away with two really, really important lessons. And the first one is this. Always, always double lock your hotel room door. (laughs) That little knob, it's there for a reason. You're welcome. The second thing, which potentially is more eternally life-changing, is this. Friends, Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, was not supposed to accomplish just enough for you to cope in your life. It was not supposed to just kind of like stop you from completely running dry in your life. Jesus did not intend that you live your life trying to clear your own sin up, trying to sort yourself out, carrying your own pain. It is not supposed to be, Jesus, you know what, you can have a bit of the burden, but honestly, I'll deal with most of it on my own. Jesus did not come to take the edge off your guilt. He did not come just to loosen the chains of your sin a little bit. Jesus was so much more than that. He's not just supposed to be there when we run out the edge of our resources. He loves you way more than that. Frankly, his death cost him more than that. His grace is more amazing than that. And so it should affect our lives. It should be more than a tweak or a lifestyle add into our life. It should transform us. It should permeate our souls. And yes, it takes time. And sometimes we need help with that. And that's absolutely fine. But our lives should look different. Our own lives, our church lives. And so I'm going to show you a couple of verses 
in a moment where we're going to go, well, what does graceful living look like? Because if we don't want that list of striving, what is it, what are we going for? Like, what do we want to live like? What does a graceful life look like? And these words that we're going to look at are from one Peter. Just want to point out Peter. So this is a guy who's gone from fisherman, Simon Fisherman, to Peter Petrots, the rock on which the church is built. This is the guy who denied even knowing Jesus to the guy who was in the end actually martyred for his faith. So this is a guy whose life has been utterly, radically transformed by the grace of God. And here he is in 1 Peter talking to the church about what a life hallmarked by grace looks like. Let's read these couple of verses together. It says this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Can I just highlight that verse again? Verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have, whatever God has given you, friends, whatever God has given you, whatever encouragement, healing, blessing, joy, anything that God has given you in your life, he's calling you to be a faithful steward of God's grace in his various forms. Wouldn't you love to be part of a church like that? I'm sure you are. It's perfect around here. But, you know, and I've got a list now of the things that out of that passage they're like, this is what graceful living looks like. It looks like loving each other deeply. It's more than just, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. It's loving each other deeply. It's forgiving willingly. Offering hospitality. Can I just say, I think hospitality is one of the most underrated spiritual gifts. Inviting people into each other's homes or going out for coffee, spending time together. Refusing to grumble. Can I have an amen from the church leaders? Refusing to grumble. Just not letting our lives become like a list of grumbles. Using our gifts, our words, serving in God's strength. And you know what? Not for our applause. Not so people say how remarkable we are, so that we feel loved. But doing it for God's glory and not our own. And I just want to remind you today, you are a recipient of God's grace. But you are also a channel of God's grace. You are called to steward, just let this really sink in, you are called to steward the grace of God. Is there anything more amazing you could do in your life than share the grace of God? Is there anything more incredible you could do in a world that so needs it? Whatever you have received from God is a precious gift you can steward. So God is restoring you so that you can bring restoration to others. Whatever your story, whatever your background, whatever the things you've been through, whatever your strengths, whatever your weaknesses, whatever your gifts, God needs every single one of you, every one of us, to be stewards of God's grace in the world, individually and as a church. He doesn't need a church full of burned out, stressed out, cynical Christians. God needs a church that is so full of his grace that they overflow 
that grace wherever they are. And so I'm just going to invite us today to sort of realign our lives again if we need to, to recalibrate a little bit, just to let God's grace sink in one more time in your life. Some of you, you're like, I, you know, I'm doing okay. But some of us here were like, do you know what? I am that striving person. I really am. And I really need God's grace. And I'm going to invite Leon to join me. And we're going to just listen to God together. We're just going to spend some time up here with you responding. I've got nothing clever to say, really, other than God's amazing. And his grace is amazing. And I don't know about you, but I really need it. And it struck me just as I was preparing this week, Leon, you know, I don't know these guys. I don't know you watching online either on the other sites, but it, it just struck me as I was thinking of sharing my testimony, which I don't often do, that there might be somebody in this room or online or in one of the other sites who has never received God's grace. Like who actually, they're still in that camp where they're trying to do things in their own strength, and they've never really received Jesus for themselves. And and let me tell you, if that is you, you don't have to do life on your own. You've not been created to do life on your own. It's it's too hard, isn't it? It's too hard to do. I don't know how I ever tried to do life without God in my life. And I can't sit on a bench next to you today, but this is the best I can do. This is the best I can do, is to stand here and say, I just feel like I want to let you know today that God loves you. And maybe you would like to give your life to Christ. And even if that's just one person, it's just worth taking a moment, isn't it? And just spending a bit of time to go, if that's you, why not today? Why not today? Maybe you've heard someone ask you to stick your foot in the follower of Jesus camp before and you thought, I'll think about it. Why not today? Yeah. Why not today? And, you know, Leon, why don't you help us to know how to do that? What's the best way of doing sure, that? Sure, yeah. Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment and um, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity, like Kathy has said, to receive the greatest gift, not just to be tweaked, but to be transformed by grace. And so we're just going to pray mm. and I'm going to kind of pray a prayer. And if this is you and maybe this is you've never done this before, then at the end of this prayer, just love you just to put your hand up. One of our uh, hosting team is, is around. They're going to stand now and they're going to be around. And, and they'll just come and put a booklet in your hand just to help you. This is the biggest decision you'll ever make. Yeah. But you don't need to strive about it. Mm. You just need to receive it. So Father, we thank you for giving us the greatest gift of all, which is Jesus. That his death, his resurrection enables us to have a relationship with you through the power of the Holy Spirit and we receive it today by faith. God, we want to stop living our life our own way. We want to invite you to be the Lord and the leader of our life and so we give you our life today and we receive that gift of grace in Jesus' name. So while our eyes are closed, if that's you and you prayed that prayer, I'd just love you just to pop your hand up and maybe online this is you as well indicate and someone would love to put a link in the chats if that's you I'd just love you to pop your hand up and someone will come and put a booklet in your hand if you're in one of the other sites or you're online you know please make yourself known yeah. in some way as well so that we can walk with you in that because this is do you know what this is an amazing this is good news yeah. 
thank you the person who's responded or people responded in this room. Yeah. You know, heaven is celebrating right now, guys. Yeah. Heaven yeah. is celebrating right now. This is death to life, darkness to light. This is a new start, a clean slate, a chance to actually live life with God, knowing grace in your life. This is absolutely beautiful. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your amazing, amazing grace. But it might be that you've, you've done that prayer, you're, you're part of Jesus' family and you know that, but actually you know that you are weary, that you are worn out in doing things in your own strength. And actually, yeah. you're just quite tired here today. Maybe you feel a bit like I did when I went to that hotel. You're just worn out. Life's challenging. Life's challenging. And I would, you know, all my heart would just like to pray for you today mm. that God would refill your grace tank, yeah, that you would know God's goodness again in your life. So if you are willing and if it is helpful for you, please do just put your hands out in front of you. There's nothing magic about that. It's just a posture of receptiveness. Sometimes doing something with our body plugs in our brain in a weird way. It just does. So if, you, if you're comfortable... We all need more of God's grace today, guys. Let's just all do this. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace. Just let it sink in again today. We thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to do it in our own strength. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your grace again today. Fill us with your grace, God. We're sorry for when we end up doing it on our own. And we pray, Lord, you would help us to live life out of grace and not stress and striving, that we would do it with you. Lord, we place you at the center of our lives again today. Pray we just know more of your presence in this moment, that we would be refueled by you again today, God so that we can be faithful stewards of God's grace. Mm.